Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering. One bank teller instead of the usual five. Slow, fast food lines. Simply not enough staff. Grandma's Office Catering avoided the mass exodus with the respect, appreciation, better wages, and now health insurance. That's how Grandma continues to wow. Grandma'sCatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Today is Thursday, February 24th. Coming up, after years of fits and starts, Kansas City's Jazz District is finally seeing private investors making inroads. But some locals are skeptical of the rush of new money. Nobody has gotten this far. We're farther than anybody has gotten in the last two plus decades. Plus, the fight over racism in a Kansas school district. But first, some headlines. COVID-19 vaccinations in Missouri have stalled out at one of the lowest rates in the country. KCUR's Alex Smith reports. Just 55% of Missouri residents are fully vaccinated, which is the 11th lowest rate in the country and well below the national average of 65%. Less than a quarter of Missourians have received their boosters. Shots have dropped to about 3,700 per day, which is the state's slowest rate since vaccines became widely available. In Kansas, 60% of residents have received at least two doses of the COVID vaccine, and a quarter of Kansans are boosted. Health experts urge people to get vaccinated to prevent infection and serious illness from the coronavirus. The Kansas City Police Department has agreed to settle a lawsuit brought by a black teen who was wrongfully jailed in 2016. KCUR's Dan Margulies reports. The department will pay $900,000 and apologize to Tyreek Bell for his wrongful detention when he was 15 years old. Bell was walking home from a relative's house when he was stopped by police. Earlier, someone had called 911 and reported three black males had been playing on the corner with guns. Bell was jailed for three weeks before another policeman watched patrol car videos and concluded Bell was not the suspect. Bell filed a civil rights lawsuit against the KCPD, which the settlement resolves. A spokesman for the KCPD said it had apologized to Bell and wished him and his family, quote, all the best. Kansas City has officially submitted its bid to host World Cup soccer matches in 2026. Greg Eklund reports it's one of 22 North American cities competing for as many as 17 host slots. One day before FIFA's Tuesday deadline, Kansas City's bid was uploaded to a shared portal in the governing body's Switzerland headquarters. Kathy Nelson of Visit KC and the Kansas City Sports Commission says the local organizers are prepared to answer any follow-up questions. Every city still has a few things with the venue um, as far as construction goes and some final questions from FIFA. But it certainly is a good spot to be in to know that all the heavy lifting is done. FIFA is expected to announce the host cities in late April or early May. Development in Kansas City's 18th and Vine District has lagged for decades. That appears to be changing, but it comes with a cost. KCUR's Carlos Moreno has this story. Small groups of people walk along Vine Street. It's a chilly, sunny afternoon and the quiet hum of traffic is punctuated by the occasional door swinging open. Music floats into the street near 18OV Barber Salon. You can't avoid the fact of its uniqueness when it comes to Agent Divine is more than just entertainment. Joey Thomas runs 18OV. He's been on Vine Street since 2013, watching this community change in fits and starts. East of Troost, business loans and funding have long been barricaded behind racism, redlining, 
and misperceptions about the area. Kansas City officials hoped that the American Jazz Museum, Negro Leagues Museum, and Gem Theater would serve as starting points for the district's revitalization, but that transformation never arrived. After the late 90s, little has been done to wipe away decades of black flight, crumbling storefronts, and abandoned lots. Only now is money really starting to flow into these blocks. But Thomas is skeptical of its direction. The leadership of 18 Divine is so unclear. The, the long-term plan for 18 Divine is so unclear. What is the goal of 18 Divine? What is the 20-year goal? Within blocks of Thomas's barbershop, private developers are investing in the renovation of the Boone Theater, Attic School, Wheatley Provident Hospital, and the former Public Works Building. Ground is set to break on an 80-unit apartment complex one block south of the barbershop. And earlier this month, the Kansas City Council signed off on a $23 million plan to develop the 1800 block of Vine into a mixed commercial residential space. Nobody has gotten this far. We're farther than anybody has gotten in the last two plus decades. Kelvin Simmons is a co-developer behind two projects slated in the district. He says that finally something is going up in the Jazz District instead of coming down. For residents, though, this raises concerns about gentrification and displacement, rising costs that could push out the people who've lived here for years. Simmons says he and his partners hear those worries and appreciate them. Well, that's what makes it so difficult. And, and that's what, when you're hearing the neighbors and you're hearing the community talk about their fears, they don't want to see this done wrong. Simmons says he and his partners recognize they can't return this historic spot to its former self. What they can do, he hopes, is make the Jazz District both a destination and a livable community. KCUR has been holding public forums in the Jazz District with residents and business owners. Many of them told us they crave a sustainable neighborhood with a variety of shops and services. A grocery store, a pharmacy, maybe even a medical office or two. Those type of things, because a lot of people that live in this building don't have transportation. Marvin Good lives in Vine Street Manor, a senior retirement community south of the intersection of 18th and Vine. The 71-year-old says that his complex feels left in the dark about the redevelopment efforts happening around them. They've not been and talked to us here in this building. We live right in the smack dab in the middle of all of this, between 19th and 29th. We live right here. It's so as if... We don't matter. Sheila Johnson has lived in 18th and Vine for two decades. She works as a social services director for a property management company that houses senior citizens, many in the Jazz District. Johnson says the private investments are a welcome addition, but her clients remain concerned about crime and violence that they see escalating in an area devoid of diverse businesses. Liquor is all around us, so we don't need the corner market to necessarily sell liquor. And they worry, too, about the neighborhood's legacy. I taught my kids and I teach my grandkids that our ancestors walked on that ground. So that area is sacred ground to us. How to move forward while honoring that sacred ground is what residents, lawmakers, and investors are still debating. There is one thing they all seem to agree on. The Jazz District should be a neighborhood first and an entertainment center second. For KCUR 89.3, I'm Carlos Moreno. 
Earlier this month, a high school principal in Derby, near Wichita, was made to apologize for showing staff members a training video about racism. Now, the Derby school district is divided over whether racism exists in the district and how it should be addressed. Suzanne Perez of the Kansas News Service covered that story for us. She spoke to KCUR's Steve Kraske on Up to Date about the latest developments. So the principal of Derby High School shared a video with his uh, teachers and staff members in January. He shared it because the same video was shared with his girls basketball players late last year. It features a black author named Joy DeGruy, who is telling a story about how she was treated differently because of her race while in a grocery store. Mm -hmm. In this video, this woman explains that a family member who's lighter skinned, who looks white, she says, is in front of her, writes a check. with with no incident at all. Joy comes up to the cashier, writes a check, is asked for two forms of ID, uh, is her ID is checked against the bad checkbook. She explains this and her sister-in-law speaks up on her behalf, says, what's going on here? Why is she being treated differently? Uh, The author that's featured in this video says she uses her white privilege to stand up for something that she sees as unjust and that this is a lesson for all of us. So what happened after the principal shared that video is um, some board members heard from teachers in the school, at least one teacher, we don't know exactly how many, who says uh, they were offended um, and it constituted a hostile work environment, the showing of this video. He was then... It was requested that he apologize. So he sent a staff-wide apology for sharing this video. So being the good reporter that you are, you put in a Kansas (laughs) Open Records request uh, to learn more about what happened behind the scenes here, Suzanne. What did you find out? I did. So we requested all emails between... Derby school board members and Principal Tim Hamblin, the principal of Derby High School, between January 1st and February 10th, when all of this was was kind of happening. What we found was uh, several emails going back and forth. It the, Our conclusion was that a board member named Andy Watkins somehow... Uh, either requested from the superintendent that Hamblin should apologize, but somehow got a message to Hamblin that he should apologize for this. He says um, in his email, my request was is only a request of one board member and not a requirement. I don't think the community would support that video and the terminology used, he writes. Um, another board member, uh, Jennifer Neal, was actually the first to raise issues about it in an email with the subject line, White Privilege, DHS, or White Privilege, Derby High School. She says she uh, heard from um, at least one staff member. She says teachers. She heard from teachers who spoke with them, spoke with her, felt like it was harassment in the workplace, a push of biased propaganda. She says, uh, are we trying to push this divisive information into our schools? And she's afraid of you know, negatively affecting the culture. So, so there was definitely some chatter back and forth between board members and this principal while this was going on. So how is the community reacting to this information becoming public? Um, well, there was a, a lot of just chatter on social media and, uh, you know, and I've just received a lot of calls and emails and texts about it. Just first of all, thanking us for for call, uh, for requesting these emails, because this isn't something people don't often see sort of the backside of how these things go down. Um, there is a tremendous amount of obviously there's a conflict over this issue, because a, as I said last week, it sort of is an example of what's going on with the whole issue over some some you know issues of diversity and race and how those are taught in schools but there is also an extreme um, 
support, level of support for this principal and what he did. Included in these emails are several letters from staff members, including one that was signed by 75 staff members at Derby High School saying, this is exactly what Hamblin needed to do and should have done. And it's despicable, they said, that any board member would have a problem with this. You know, we talked last week if the principal, Hamblin, uh, had refused to apologize here, this story would have gone, uh, I think, across the country in terms of a showdown between these two groups and different ideas about how these issues get handled. Right. I, you know, it's it's a story either way, I think. Um, yeah. he, he could have refused and we might not have known about it because mm. the whole reason I found out about it was that that email apology that went out to hundreds of people, as it turns out. Um, it, it's true that the, the way this went down is definitely not regular protocol. You don't normally have a school board member requesting anything specifically of a school administrator. They usually go through the superintendent. You know, the superintendent is in charge of all the schools. Also, there's something in Derby policy I note in my most recent story that even the way that this complaint was made is against protocol. There's In Derby policy, it says very clearly if, a, if an employee or staff member has a complaint against an administrator, they're supposed to file that in writing within 20 days. And if they don't uh, receive you know, satisfaction to their complaint, they can uh, elevate that up to the superintendent, whose decision is then final. There's no hmm. mention of board members there. Huh. And at this point, you're just aware of one board member who has been concerned about this, or do you know about more now? Well, there are two that two. were that definitely um, they had emails um, about concerns about it. Um, and no, we, there weren't any any more that you know actually had had emails saying that they were concerned about it. None of the board members are talking to me for this story. They were all. Saying you know they've been instructed to to direct all you know all communication through the district communications office. So you know nobody is talking about it yet. <laughs> so what are you going to be watching here as the Derby School District tries to move forward? I mean, are administrators going to be permitted to show these kinds of videos going forward, or is there still conflict around this that maybe hasn't been resolved within the district yet? That's a really good question, Steve. Obviously, there is a lot of conflict and a lot of unanswered questions. And I think a lot of teachers at Derby High School, some that I've spoken with, um, have, have just basically expressed a concern that, uh, about the chilling effect of this. So, you know, you have a principal who has shown a video. Coach, The coach also showed that video to, you know, but right. concerns weren't, weren't mentioned then. But what happens then is, you know, you, you'll have teachers just sort of you know, hesitate to address any kind of issue of race or, you know, culture, white privilege, those sorts of things. Um, it really does seem here that the and, – and I haven't had anyone confirm this to me directly, but it seems the whole issue of this video is that she actually uses the, word, the term white privilege. Huh. And there are people who – uh, agree that that exists, which is is basically uh, it's a phrase that refers to inherent advantages that right. white people have over people of color on the basis of race. And in this whole, you know, CRT parent transparent you know, trans cur curriculum transparency debate, whatever you want to call it, the debate over diversity education. Now there are people who say you know this should be and is a colorblind society, and white privilege just doesn't exist. That was KCUR's Steve Kraske and Suzanne Perez of the Kansas News Service on Up to Date. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. 
This podcast is produced by Byron Love and Trevor Grandin and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Carlos's story on the 18th and Vine District and Suzanne's story on the Derby School District, visit kcur.org, where you can find more local news from Kansas City's NPR station. Tomorrow, we'll hear how Missouri's government is making a drastic change to its strategy for fighting COVID-19. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon. Thank you.